Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Hassan Akmal. I'm the Executive Director of Industry Relations and Career Strategies at Columbia University's School of Professional Studies. I'm the host of the Behind the Scenes podcast series, which consists of a number of interviews with professionals discussing provocative career-related topics to set the stage for our students. The topic of today's podcast is data literacy. I am here with Marianne Seiler, who is part of the Graduate Applied Analytics faculty here at the School of Professional Studies at Columbia University, as well as Northwestern University. Welcome, Marianne. Thank you, Hassan. Marianne, please tell us a little more about your background and how you landed here at the School of Professional Studies. Well, it's a circuitous route. I actually did my undergraduate in broadcast and film. And uh, when I finished graduate school, I went back and got a master's in business and statistics. I went to work in media and entertainment. At the time, publishers were the premier data-driven marketing organization. So I actually cut my teeth first on using data in the marketing and consumer space and publishing, and then went on into cable television and did the same work there, helped build one of the first customer data sets available, and then also applied the same techniques in TV and film production. When I finished a career in media entertainment, I went back to school and got a doctorate degree, which uh, led me actually back into the area of consulting, management consulting. So I've spent about 15 years with Accenture, which is a global IT and management consulting firm. And my entire focus there was on helping organizations understand how to bring data to making better decisions in marketing, sales, and customer service. I led the practice in sales and marketing distribution for our financial services clients in, in North America. And when I left there, I moved back into teaching. And um, as you mentioned, I teach here and at Northwestern University, and I also run a small consulting firm, all really focused on how data can be used to make better decisions as pertains to your customer. Wow, and thanks for joining us from, from the beautiful city of Chicago. I, I used to live there, so miss that, uh, that beachfront, 25 miles. So what is data literacy? That's a great question. Predictive analytics, data science, and data literacy are all terms that are widely used today. And oftentimes, you'll see some nucleus of similarity, but there's still differences. I don't know that there is one defined, accepted definition out there, but when I think of data literacy, I think of it as the ability to use numbers to draw insights. And very much like literacy, it requires that you be able to read the numbers, right? look at them, understand them, and be able to analyze them. It also requires that you create, because you have to create insights from the, the data set itself, and then you need to communicate, because even the best insights, if you can't communicate them to someone, and in most organizations, your communication is designed to get someone to make a change in behavior, so if you can't communicate, there's no value coming from your analytics. So I think of data literacy as being able to analyze the data, having the contextual background to draw an insight, and then having the communication skills to be able to influence, persuade, educate people to make a change based on what you've found. Absolutely. And communication and presentation, those skills are things that employers highlight all the time, especially when um, they've been named you know, one of the eight career readiness competencies as well. So um, absolutely. So as, as a former chief executive officer for a global nonprofit, I used to look at data points all the time for, for public health. 
However, one would argue that data is useless, right? We talked about communication. We talked about presentation. So, so data is useless without the skills to analyze it. What are your thoughts in this regard? I wouldn't say it's useless. I would say it's dangerous <laughs> because if you don't have the skills to analyze the data, you know, you're going to go off in the wrong direction. You can do tremendous damage. I would advocate doing nothing or using kind of judgment versus using data to drive a decision if you really don't have the competencies to look at it. I think what's really important, though, is that even if you have the competencies to analyze a data set, you have to have the competencies to stand back and ask, is the data that I'm analyzing actually worth looking at? Is it quality data? So much data that is being delivered today through any means into any organization has significant issues related to it. And if you can't look at the data set and identify the bias, the limitations, the quality issues in it, then even if you can analyze that data correctly, your results are still going to be incorrect because the data wasn't valuable. So I think that it's really important somebody not only be able to look at the data set and determine an insight, but they, they can look back to how the data was generated, understand the limitations, and then be able to keep those in mind as they actually analyze the data set itself. Yes, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I remember when we would look at, for example, the number of sick people or ill people in a community, um, but the community happened to have the most hospitals, right? And so understanding the quality of the data and the limitations, right? If there's going to be more hospitals, there's going to be more sick people and making sure that you understand um, what you're referencing. So being able to really see the big data picture in essence as well and having sort of the competence in finding manipulating, managing, and interpreting the data, including not just the numbers, but also the, the text and images. I would imagine that these critical skills um, that you speak of must flow far beyond the IT function, right? Spreading through the digital fabric of every business function and activity. How true is that? That's very true. I will reference back to the structure of the predictive analytics practice at Accenture and also at many of the large global consulting organizations. Predictive analytics or data science is a team function. You not have to have people who are very skilled to be able to, if you have to collect the data, actually collect the data correctly, then integrate it so you've got your IT function there. People are pulling the data, standardizing it, integrating it, making sure that it's prepared correctly. So we would say data science included IT, then it included the decision scientists, the people who are actually modeling the data. And then it also included individuals in the business function who have the contextual background to understand, one, is the insight that's coming out of the data is it worth even pursuing, right? Is it an issue that could advance the organization if, in fact, they acted on it? Is it going to return a value to the organization? What regulatory, legal, or other restrictions have implications in terms of it? So we found that there was the predictive analytics person who had business function, statistics and modeling function, IT function, and then the research function as well so that people knew how to conduct and gather data that was appropriate, random, was really representative of the universe that you're trying to study. I do have lots of students coming to me asking me, you know, can I apply my business experience? How can my business experience or my background or function give me an edge? And so it's nice to hear that it definitely brings a lot of value. 
tomorrow's leaders need to ensure that the people that work for them have these skills, right, along with the culture, the support, the accountability to go with it. How can students prepare for the marketplace in this particular space? That's a very interesting question. Part of the challenge today for students is that there is a lot of presence in the market on the importance of data science or predictive analytics, and I certainly agree with that. But what it does is students will see that it has it's rated as the sexiest job in America. And so they go running into it totally unprepared for what's actually going to be uh, what they're going to encounter. And so I think it's important for somebody to understand two things. One is for you to be data literate and to feel comfortable and facile with the use of data is going to be a requirement regardless of whether you're a lawyer, a doctor, a business person, a teacher, it doesn't matter everyone is going to need to be able to use data because of its overwhelming presence and the importance in leading us to make better decisions. So understanding that there's a role for you in an analytics-based organization, even if you're never going to be the person who does uh, master's or doctorate in statistics or econometric modeling or software engineering is very important as well. And also when students come in, they have to remember that There is a level of knowledge about numbers that they have to have. Oftentimes, I'll get students into an introductory class that I teach in predictive analytics who haven't taken any math for so long, they don't even remember the fundamentals of what they had in algebra, right? And so if you're worried about whether you understand a square or a square root, or whether you know what the median mode or mean means, or percent versus a percent change, I mean, those are all important functions. And so you may begin need to start by just going back and taking an undergraduate or a refresher class in algebra or algebra two so that you just feel comfortable enough with the qualities and characteristics of numbers that you can move in to begin to uh, take more classes and determine which of the three paths into predictive analytics is going to be important to you. Are you going to really approach it from the IT side, from the true data scientist and modeling side, or from the business side itself? And my career has always been from the business side of it, right? Um, I just happened to have spent time in a master's and in a graduate program actually doing the modeling myself. But my predominant skill is understanding what analytics can provide, how it can impact an organization to create value, and then being able to architect a solution. You need to think about it as not being a single path in, but as a, a, a tapestry. There are many ways into predictive analytics, and being the happiest will be understanding which of those paths best meets what your skills and interests are. Very interesting, and I like the fact that it's so eye-opening. It's a cornerstone, I think, to, to, to a lot of people's careers that they don't always think about. For example, if you want to be a really strong manager or in leadership or in the C-level suite, what that could bring to the table for you uh, or for somebody who's looking to advance their career. For example, in my field of career development, we used forecasting all the time. So we would look at the data points. We would look at where we are, how many students are employed, by which week, by which month, in order to focus our efforts in a certain direction. For example, upcoming graduates or the students who all did not have positions who were, who were about to graduate, we could focus our efforts towards them. And so it was incredibly powerful. 
Kind of back to your point about, you know, it being sort of the sexiest job, right? So Glassdoor, as you know, recently revealed its report highlighting the 50 best jobs in America. And unsurprisingly, data scientists claim the top spot, not just, you know, for the year, but for the second year in a row. So every year, the job site releases this report based on each job sort of overall glass glass door job score, I think is what they call it. So the score is determined by three key factors, the number of job openings, the job satisfaction rating, and the median annual base salary. With this, the competition for this position or for these positions are, are definitely on the rise, right? Someone looks at, this, at the median annual base salary and says, okay, I want that job. So for our listeners, tell us more about this career of data scientists and what is the difference between data science and predictive analytics? Again, there's no specific agreed-upon answer in terms of what is the difference between a data scientist and a predictive analytics. I will share what my perspective is, having worked in the field. I think of myself as being employed in the field of predictive analytics. As I mentioned before, I'm really focused on understanding how value can be created by using predictive analytics, selling it into an organization, which is providing a business case to prove that the investment is worthwhile, pulling all the key resources together to actually address the issue. That's pulling in the data people and the data scientists and the business individuals together. So I think of predictive analytics more broadly. I don't think of it as a single particular role. My profile is the data scientists that I have brought in who are typically people that are highly skilled and highly educated in advanced statistical and mathematical competencies. They've done a lot of modeling. They're very capable of using almost any software tool that's out there, R, SAS, MATLAB, whatever they're doing, to be able to manipulate the data. And so their primary role in my team was to go deep into the data sets to really try to extract the information out of those data sets. And then together with the business people, we looked and created the insights necessary. So that's what I think of predictive analytics a little more broadly than I actually think of data science. I think of that as almost sitting inside of a competency of predictive analytics. Sure, and that makes a lot of sense. And I would imagine that sort of the safeguarding of big data creates big value, right? And it also calls for, you know, to your point about being highly skilled, for almost like a, a reskilling effort. So this becomes as much about fostering a data-driven mindset, which I would encourage to students as it does understanding sort of the analytical culture. So I push students to to do externships or job shadows to really see firsthand um, what it's like before accepting an internship in a full-time position. And more and more employers are asking us to do these externships so that they don't end up hiring an intern and then they get to see kind of what the position really is all about and then they realize they don't like it, right? So it saves the student time, it saves the employer time. How can a student reassure himself or herself that this is the field for them? Obviously, one of the ways which you've highlighted is actually getting some exposure to it. And I would say internships, externships are so important because they not only help you identify whether you're in the right field, but whether you're in the right organization for that field. There are very different approaches to what data scientists are asked to do in different um, environments. So if I'm working at Google and I'm out just doing deep data exploration just to see and find things 
things that I might not before. That's a very different type of data science role than if I'm actually working in a regulated industry like insurance or banking, where there's a lot more limits on what I can actually do. And therefore, the organization says, you know, if I set you loose to go off and just see what you can find, we may end up with a lot of insights that we can never act on from a regulatory or legal perspective. So we want you to narrow your focus much more and look at specific issues because that will have value. I think what students need to understand is that while there are some organizations which take more of a research orientation, so they set their people loose to see what they can find in the data. There are many organizations that say that is not the approach. We want you to go into this data with some predefined guidelines. And so that's a very different type of exercise as a data scientist than if you're just set loose to see what you can find. So I think really understanding the industry, the culture of the firm, shaping the role that you'll have as a data scientist is really important as well. And then I think also really understanding the data literacy and competency of that organization itself. The major frustration I hear from my students who are actually already in data science positions and are coming back for advanced work is that they're unable to effectively persuade the organization to change. And so you really need to understand that too. If you are new, just coming out of school, and you get into an organization where either management is not knowledgeable, or you do not have a boss who is highly effective in communicating and persuading the organization, you'll be terribly frustrated because you'll do a lot of great research. You'll identify what you think are really meaningful insights, and nothing will happen. So look at the role, the culture of the organization, and also the just general um, competency of the organization or maybe culture willingness to accept and use data to make decisions. That's a good point, right? you got to shop for the right boss. You might be well-equipped to tackle some of these issues, but if you don't have the support or if there's a disconnect with leadership, you will be frustrated. So what about adopting new technology, right? So companies leading the revolution, per se, right? They already have experiment-focused, numerate, data-literate workforce, for example. How important is it for students to understand that the technology, it goes along with this? There are always new tools out there, right? Every time we turn around, there's a new set of tools. And so I think it's important that, again, you look at the particular environment within which you operate. When R first came out, it was used much more widely on college campuses than it was within the business community. And in some regards, that's still the case. And so students were very surprised when they get out there and, and they said, I can use R and I can use this open software and that open software. And the, and the recruiter said, can you use SAS? Because that's what we use. We don't use anything but SAS because it's an enterprise validated proven software that we know has been industry tailored. So it's important to be curious enough 
to try the new software that's out there, understand some of the issues, but also remember that that doesn't negate the need for existing and legacy software, some of which will continue to be very strong going forward in the future. So I advocate it, but you'll also find a lot of organizations where IT is always jumping on the new tool or data science, and the reaction to management is, well, why? Why is what we have not sufficient? I mean, you guys are like the little kids at Christmas. You want the next shiny toy, right? We're not going to invest in the shiny toy for you unless you can give us a really strong business reason to do so. So with that, I would say don't be surprised if your organization doesn't just grab at every shiny new toy that comes along. It may need to prove itself out for a while. Stay current. If you have your own interest, pursue it. But it is not always necessary to go forward and say, I am absolutely skilled in the most recent tool set that's out there. I have a lot of managers who are leading data science units tell me that if you know two tools, I can teach you the rest. All I need to know is that you have the curiosity and the capability to learn. So if you don't know what I need you to know, I'll teach you what I need you to know. So learn enough to evidence that you are curious and understand the differences between the tools. But don't fret too much if you're not an expert. No one's an expert in all of them. Absolutely. I think I need to reevaluate my business purpose for looking at the iPhone X. (laughs) You know, it's interesting because even in the career development space, some of the most successful career centers are the early adopters of some of the new vendors, but there's just really so many out there. There's so many out there. You really have to be selective and really think about whether it's going to accomplish what you really are looking at because they aren't cheap. (laughs) So with the advent of big data, right, the big data era means that analyzing large messy, right? Because you talked about the quality of data needs to be there. So messy or unstructured data is going to increasingly form a part of everyone's work, right? Not just if you're in that particular department. Um, So it's not just a part of someone's role who is a, a director of data analytics, right? Managers and business analysts will often be called to conduct data driven experiments to interpret data to create innovative database products and services. So should we all be acquiring these additional skills? How important is it for the rest of us? I think everyone needs to be data literate. If you wish to be in a meaningful role in an organization going forward, you need to be data literate. There is a concept of data democracy which is out there right now. Organizations are struggling to implement it really well, Uh, but many of the digital companies are really based on being able to push data out into the organization and then help people make the best decisions. In many ways, that's why some companies are investing in AI in order to be able to drive the data out and have it in a decision-making aid for someone at the field level. But I think it's very important, and I I really think that you will be called upon to help. When I was uh, still with Accenture, we did work for a major global banking organization, which asked us to do a big data test for them. So we used data out of their transactional and call centers and spent a huge amount of time preparing the data getting it ready for analysis, it was analyzed, and the 
data scientists provided back the results and the business analyst and myself, and, and this was the business analyst was somebody with a tremendous amount of banking understanding in the front lines. Uh, we just looked at it and said, no, this is wrong. This is not right. We know how people behave. We see it every day that we walk in there. It is not right. So they went back and scrubbed the data and worked on it for two weeks and came back and told us the data is right. The data extract that we used, the last six months of data, is absolutely correct. It came out of the systems, the operational systems, transactional systems correctly. We analyzed it correctly. This is what is happening. And we kept saying, nope, nope, that's not what's happening. And so we had to go out into the field to find somebody who was sitting at a call center, because this happened to be call center data. And we showed them the results, and the call center data person said, Oh, yeah, you're right. That's not right. Because what happens is the data is entered by a, a telephone representative by selecting out of a drop-down box. And because we performance measure the reps by the amount of time on the phone with each call, they check the first box in the drop-down regardless of whether it's actually evidence of what the transaction or call was about. So if we had not gone all the way back to the very source of the data entry, we would have made a terrible mistake. And the data scientists, they don't sit in the field along with the frontline managers. So if we hadn't had that individual who really had that intimate knowledge, uh, keep saying, nope, 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 we never would have gotten back there. To me, that's a real indication of the need as data sets get larger and larger, we have to go back further and further to ensure that the data is actually, yes, it was transcribed correctly out of what came out of the transactional system, but the event that generated the data had flaws in it. I think more and more we're going to find that as we get into looking at larger and larger data sets. And therefore, people, regardless of their position, are going to have to help understand, is this really an accurate representation of what happens in the field? So it doesn't matter if you want to be valuable to your organization and be involved in really meaningful and value-driving work, you have to have a base level of competency with the data and you have to be you know willing to get in and work you know with the data as well get your hands dirty definitely definitely so is it is the data skewed is it is there a bias maybe the next sexy job will be a data strategist right <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of data really being valued does good data really guarantee good decisions that is the frontier of the next major wave of research. And I've actually, am looking at trying to create a class around decision making. I think we've known for a long, long time there are flaws in decision making. If you go all the way back to the research done by Peter Senge over 25 years ago when he wrote The Fifth Discipline, he talks about mental models, about flawed thinking and decision making. There's a recent book by the Heath brothers called Decisive, which also looks at the type of decision-making models and the flaws associated with them. So having good data does not inherently drive a good decision because we have to interpret the data or we have to believe the data, and there are still flaws in our ability as humans to actually absorb all the data and make the right decision. Now, certainly bad data is going to mean a bad decision, right? But good data does not automatically equal a good decision. So I think in the future, we will see 
we're too early for it right now. But I believe in the future we will see the CEO positions being pulled out of the basic predictive analytics roles, people with very strong background. Part of what they'll have is the ability to see the entire picture of what constitutes a predictive analytics the ability to line up the analytics against value in the organization, and certainly the ability to look at the analysis to see whether it is correct, but also they will shape the analysis and the decision-making in a way that allows people to make the best decisions. Too often today, the CEO says to the organization, I think this is what we should do. Go back into the data and, you know, prove that this is what we should do, as opposed to saying, what should we do, Help the, have the data help me understand, is more like, find the data that supports what I want to do. That's because part of it in that is that people are still running on some level of intuition, and there's always going to be that, always has a place in making good decisions. But the organizations will flip to looking at data to get input to make decisions. And that's why I think that you know being able to help the organization shape itself so it makes good decisions based on data is going to be a key to people who get to the C-level. Most definitely. A good leader is going to have to say that is going to have to be honest no matter how much work or time was put into that process and be able to say this data is inconclusive, right, if it is. Well, thank you very much, Marianne. It's been a pleasure. Uh, Our next podcast will be on the topic of demystifying mentorship with Mark Carter, a mentorship expert out of Chicago as well, um, and the founder of 180. Thank you. Thank you.